This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Nancy Pelosi's election to Speaker of the House, Hillary Clinton's realistic shot at the presidency, and Drew Gilpin Faust's appointment as president of Harvard are being celebrated as breakthroughs for all women. But are the barriers to women's workplace success really disappearing? In a new book, Taking on the Big Boys, or Why Feminism is Good for Families, Business, and the Nation, our guest today, Ellen Bravo, spotlights the everyday lives of working women and finds that times have not changed as much as we may think. Bravo is the former director of 9 to 5, the National Association of Working Women. She now teaches at the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. Ellen Bravo, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thanks so much. My pleasure to be here. Well, thanks for coming on. How how are you doing today? What's it like in uh, Wisconsin? It's actually sunny and nice. Really? Yes. So, so it's global warming is what you're telling me. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> so tell me, who, who are the big boys? The big boys are what I call the powers that be. You may call them the ruling class or the owning class or the man. They're the people who control power and wealth in our country. Mm-hmm. They have a lot to say about how we do our work. They make or greatly influence public policy. Uh, I include their spokespeople and lobbyists. And, you know, even though they don't meet in smoke-filled rooms or have a secret handshake, they have a community of interest that makes, you know, they operate out of. And one of the things that's most distressing about them is they not only control our world, they also want to define it. So they have a lot to say about what gets through to us in the media. And while we can have opposing views, their view is the one that gets heard the most about what the problems are, what the solutions are needed, et cetera. Okay, and, and do before we get started here, could you just give a, a definition of what you mean when you say feminism? Sure. As you know, the dictionary de- definition simply means social, political, and economic equality between the sexes. Uh-huh. I go a little farther, and I say feminism means a system of beliefs, laws, and practices that fully values women and work associated with women in order to free the potential of everyone. What I mean by that is that no form of oppression would be okay because, A, women are many uh, diverse groups, so you have to take into account things like race and class, sexual orientation, etc. And, B, anything that makes, that allows the big boys to flourish uh, works against us. So we really have to have a system where we oppose all forms of oppression. I call that social justice feminism. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't it just a matter of greed, though, with the big boys? I mean, would, wouldn't they flourish even more in other ways if they embraced feminism? Um, I don't think so, because okay. um, they're the ones who have a stake in maintaining discrimination. They're the only ones who profit from it. Think about it. When women earn less money than men, it doesn't, the extra doesn't go to their husbands or sons or brothers or fathers. It goes into the pockets of the big boys. And so men have a stake in ending that discrimination, just as women do. And most men certainly have a stake in seeing that their loved women in their lives don't get fired for having a sick kid. Um, But the big boys actually think they prosper by this. It's an interesting question because, on the one hand, uh, my subtitle of my book is Why Families 
why feminism is good for families, business, and the nation. And uh-huh. I certainly make the case that it's a better way to run a business to be feminist, but it isn't a better way for the people whose only concern is getting that $220 million severance package when they fail and get fired. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to help the long-term interests of companies, but I think Enron and other scandals have taught us that the people in charge aren't necessarily interested even in the short-term interest of their own company so much as they are their own short-term interest. So, so it pretty much is a matter of greed for them and, and not really too much forward thinking. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Sometimes, though, it's less conscious than that. Um, for example, one of the problems about the way women are treated is that the legacy of discrimination has been embedded in women's pay. So there are a lot of people who say, well, I, I don't discriminate, I just pay the market rate. Mm-hmm. Except the market rate, God didn't set the market rate. It reflects <laughs> the culture that allowed women for a long, long time to be paid one-half to two-thirds what men made. And Eventually, they hired more and more women in the jobs that they'd been excluded from when they needed them because men were at war. And women did find those jobs, so they kept hiring them, and the jobs became what we now call female-dominated jobs. Like, think about why are the most trusted advisors of the president called secretary? Because mm-hmm. that's what secretaries were, the highest up, high-status, high-paid, all men. Mm-hmm. Then they needed women to do it, hired them for much less. So... That legacy has been embedded in those jobs. Also, a lot of people don't think about this. Why do the people who take care of our little children make less than the people who take care of our cars or our pets or our lawns? Because those caregiving jobs were valued lower because they're what women do for free in the home. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there are a lot of people who will say that... Well, we we fought this battle. We that's that's so nineteen sixties and seventies, you know. And feminism. I mean, co- come on, you know. Do you, what do you want? Same sex bathrooms. What is it? What what is what? Are, what do you say when people say feminism is a is a, is a, is a movement that has come and gone? It's seen its best days. What do you say? What do you say when somebody says that? Well, um, first of all, the the big boys would love us to think that yeah. because it really helps them think about it. Yeah. When they say, look, you got your Nancy Pelosi, your Hillary, your president of woman of Harvard, what's yeah. the big deal? I say, good, we worked hard for these advances, but watch out for abracadabra arithmetic, thinking that one or a few equals plenty. In fact, 2% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women, one, a half of 1% women of color. 6% of top earners are women. Mm-hmm. Three quarters of those big companies have no women among the top earners. 16% of Congress, there are no women of color in the Senate, and so on. That is hardly progress. Mm-hmm. We, we can also say, where is it that women are in the vast majority? We're 90% of people who earn less than 15 grand a year. Mm-hmm. We're the majority of minimum wage earners. We're the majority of people living in poverty and so on. So what we have to do is, when we say women, we have to think of all women. Mm-hmm. Secondly, when I talk about feminism and feminist groups, I think of groups like 9 to 5 or um, D.A.R.E. in Rhode Island, Asian Immigrant Women Advocates in Oakland, mm-hmm. Miles Foundation, in, you know, which deals with military women. A lot of these groups are not known to the majority of people in our country. They're not visible, but they've done fabulous work mm-hmm. fighting for women at the grassroots. And I think when people read my book and read these stories, you see that it is possible take on the big boys, and that we certainly need to. A lot of people don't realize, for example, that half the workforce 
and three-quarters of low-wage workers have no paid sick days, that we have the, pay, the Family Medical Leave Act, but that most people can't take it because it's not paid, it doesn't cover routine illness, and two out of five private sector workers aren't covered at all. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of work still to do. Right. Well, would you, I, I think, would you acknowledge that there was a lot of progress for in, during the period of time I was talking about from, let's say, the 60s into the 70s? And then does, is it fair to say that the 80s with the, the Reagan administration, there was a lot of pushback? Yes, both of those things are true. It's certainly good that we no longer allow marital rape, which we did up until the 70s. Right. It's certainly good that we no longer say that um, you know, rape victims can be admonished for having been out yeah. at 2 o'clock in the morning instead of right. the men who raped them shouldn't have been raping them. Um, so, yeah, there's been progress. There's better women, you know, things that had no names in the 70s, like sexual harassment and family leave and better women, right. things we just took for granted as being part of life. We've named, and we have um, won some big victories. And, you know, groups like 9 to 5 and others that I write about were part of those, so I'm really proud of that. But the, the problem is, first of all, that so many of those gains were um, st- are stuck. Mm-hmm. And, for example... Well, and, and also, we're talking about enforcement of the, of, of the yes. legislation. There was, there was a lack of any kind of dis- will to really enforce the laws. A lot of good laws were passed during that period of time, but where the Reagan administration, in my mind, where the Reagan administration stepped in was they said, we're not going to really follow through and enforce these laws. There is a problem of lack of enforcement, a big problem. big problem today that the EEOC is being privatized, and then you now when you call, you get an 800 number of non-government contract employees. Mm-hmm. But there also is a problem that the laws themselves aren't strong enough. Mm-hmm. Um, let me give you some examples. I, I mentioned what's wrong with the Family and Medical Leave Act. We need it to be affordable and accessible to everybody. We need to have a stronger definition of family, the reasons that you can use it. We need a minimum standard for paid sick days. Many people lose their jobs, not just their paychecks, because of the absence of that. There is no law in this country federally that says, I can't fire you because I think you're gay. Mm-hmm. I don't even have to know that you are. There's no law federally that says, that if you and I do the same job for the same company, but I work fewer hours, that I have to get the same base pay or benefit package, or if I'm temp or contract worker. And there's no law that's federally that says that employers can't discriminate on the basis of family responsibility. Mm-hmm. These are huge problems. There's also problems of how corporate America works. Right now, to, to advance, you pretty much need to have be able to move, meet, or travel at a moment's notice, which is very hard to do if you don't have a wife at home full-time or no life. Obviously, that disproportionately affects women. Mm-hmm. The failure to think about how work is organized has been at the root of a lot of the, um, the shortcomings in the way gains have been made. And let me mention one other thing, pay. Yes, the wage gap has narrowed, but A, it's stuck. At 77 cents on the dollar, mm-hmm. 71 if you're African American, and 58 for Latinas. Mm. Secondly, half of the difference, half of the narrowing, came from loss of pay for men, particularly men of color. This is not what we had in mind by equality. We want pay to go up, not the higher pay to go down. So, and third, the gap is greatest for women who work the longest hours and have the most education. The mommy wage gap has increased 
women with kids make less than everybody else. Those are startling things. My book helps smash some of these myths that women are really doing great, gives us the reality, and also talks about the organizing we need to do to change it. So, Ellen Bravo, we're talking, uh, we're, ta- we're speaking with Ellen Bravo about her new book, Taking on the Big Boys, or Why Feminism is Good for Families, Business, and the Nation. So, some of these groups are backing up, and that's, that explains the, the, the narrowing of the gap. Um, and uh, like and, and the what... others are running in place a lot faster to stay where they are. I'd yes. like to know what the solution to some of this is, though, too. I mean, especially when we have a, a president like we do today. Does the new Congress give you any hope? Well, yeah, the new Congress gives hope. And also the, um, the fact that so many people have turned against the war, that Bush is not getting away with what he got away with the first term. Um, I think there are now candidates for office, both at the presidential and other level, who understand that it's not enough to pay lip service to family values when those family values stop at the workplace door, that if we really value families, then we have to change these policies and make sure that there's guarantee that you won't get fired for being a good family member. I also think there's hope in that there are, you know, um, there are pieces of legislation. We know what we need. That's the good news. It's not a mystery. And all of it exists somewhere. Some companies, in this case, in the United States, and many countries, in the case of work-family policies, as you know, we're number 163 out of 168 on things like paid family medical leave. We know what to do. What the big boys say is, okay, they say, if women make less money, it's because they don't know how to ask. They're too shy. That's the problem. It's one more a deficiency of women. Well, the big problem isn't that women don't ask. It's that employers don't pay sufficient wages. And, yes, women can learn negotiating, but the majority of women work in jobs where they're not allowed to negotiate for their pay and where they can be fired for talking to each other about pay. And we have to remember that what we really want to change is why should your starting pay or any pay depend on how slick you are at promoting yourself? Why aren't there objective reasonable, transparent criteria that everyone can know. And if you have a lot more experience and skill than I do, fair enough if you get a different job class that's higher than mine, and then tell me what I have to do to move into that. So this is the problem. And the the same thing about why there aren't more women in high-paying jobs. They say, well, they're just not willing to work the hours required. Mm -hmm. Maybe the hours required is a wrong way to do it. Maybe, in fact, quality and productivity go up, and we know a lot about this, when people have more collaborative and reasonable way of doing their work. It's not a favor to women, what I'm asking for in this book. It's a better way to organize work and family life. That's an important distinction you just made. It's not as if you're asking for, as the conservatives might say, special treatment. You're asking exactly. for for uh, a new perspective, a different perspective, one that we know exists, and I'm going to bet um, I'm going to bet my last dollar here that the Europeans are doing a better job uh, than we are. Is, 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 do we have examples of countries who are doing, doing this well? Uh, everyone but us, just about. And, you know, <laughs> we think about Brazil, Cameroon, Mongolia, okay. Kenya, India, they all do better than we do. Yeah. Certainly the European countries do. And um, 
but so do many countries in Asia, Latin America, mm-hmm. and Africa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember going to Beijing in 1995, big women's conference, 33,000 women from around the world. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, reporters said to me, aren't you so proud to be from America? Aren't we so much better than everyone else? And I said, well, I am proud that we don't practice general mutilation and that we don't have abandoning female infants. But the truth is, I went to workshops on work family while I was there, and we looked really bad in comparison to the rest of the world. And I learned a lot, not just from what laws people had, but from the movements of people, women and allies in these countries. We had a lot of inspiring examples you know, to go by. Mm-hmm. Why is it that they're so much better? First of all, they have a much stronger labor movement. Um, secondly, they, you know, the big boys have less sway. There's less of a discrepancy between the haves and the have-nots. There's less of a um, profit-driving-everything um, mode and more of a let's-look-at-the-common-good, um, you know, more regard for the well-being of children, etc., and less of a you keep your hands off our business mentality. Right. I, I do want to point out, and I think it's important to put this in this context, which is the United States is now one of the nations and the, one of the worst nations in the world for the gap between the richest and the poorest. We've, we've always thought of, of ourselves, I think, I have, as more egalitarian, and we the distribution of wealth is relatively um, uh, evenly divided. But now, over since, I'll go back to the 80s, but it certainly has grown exponentially since then, the gap between the richest sports, and now we're among the worst countries in the world, worse than some of the uh, Central and South American countries, which we've always... Exactly. Seen, so. I just read that the gap is largest than it's been since, the ni- since 1923. Okay. And, you know, the, and think about what that was. Yes. Know, that was a time of, you know, the gang <laughs> yeah. corruption years. Um, well, and the, it ended... <laughs> It yeah, ended the good thing. very here's, badly. Here's the other thing that I think that my book will help that a lot of people don't know. How are we going to pay for this, people will say. Well, I'm not even going to talk about the half a trillion dollars we've wasted on this war. Mm-hmm. I, I put out this theory that some um, women I know have put together. If we wanted a situation where we had a reasonable work week, let's say 35 hours, where both parents in a dual earner family, and we could adapt this for single family, single parent families or for people taking care of elderly, but for this sake, two, two parents with young children, we had uh, adequate paid leave that the parents shared, and then they each went back to work 20 hours a week and then kept increasing their hours. After a year, the child went to quality, affordable daycare that was done on a sliding scale, and then preschool would be free work, there'd be equity for part-timers so that when you worked reduced hours, you didn't lose, um, you weren't penalizing your pay rate, you didn't lose benefits, and you didn't lose advancement opportunity. There'd be quality health insurance for all. How much would it cost to do that? They figured out it would cost 1.5% of the gross domestic product. Just to give you some sense of that, we spend five times that amount right now on corporate welfare. Mm -hmm. We spend five times that amount doing things like giving money to um, Enron, $382 million in tax refunds to Enron right before they went under. We gave two, uh, this is, uh, $30 million to the executives of Lockheed in personal bonuses when they merged with Martin Marietta. Hello, what's that about? <laughs> 
We gave $300,000 to Walt Disney for perfecting their fireworks display. Uh, yeah. $2 million to McDonald's to help market chicken McNuggets to third world countries. Hey, if McDonald's wants to market to third world countries, fair enough, but I'm not going to pay for it. They're making the profits from it. If This is the most shocking yeah. um, you know, uh, excess in our country. We... We have the money. We just don't have the political will. That's what needs to be changed. That's why it's so infuriating to hear these guys talk about entitlements and welfare and where have, we have to cut these things, and they never, ever mention the things that you just mentioned. Ellen Bravo, we're uh, running desperately short of time. And we, yeah. have, you, have you gotten this book in the hands of any of the political candidates that are out there right now? Have you had any reaction from any of the political camps? Um, that's a really good question. I haven't. Um, but I do know that, for example, I do think there are um, several people among the candidates who care about these issues. For example, Obama, Senator Obama, staff and I organized a meeting for people working on work family issues last year that he came and sat for half an hour and listened and chatted. I've never been in a situation where someone did that before. You know, usually they pop in for three minutes, say how great they are, and leave. Well, that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah that's a nice I think nice. John Edwards... Um, is giving a lot of leadership to these issues. And yeah. I think Hillary Clinton is giving leadership to some of these issues. Yeah. Um, you know, I think progressives have a lot of questions to ask about where people stood on the war and where they stand on, you know, issues like campaign finance reform and so on. But I do think there's more interest than there has been before because I think they're getting the message that those of us at the um, grassroots level are uh, really care about these issues are going to hold them accountable for these issues. And also, you know, there's a lot of people who I call the undecided whether or not to vote folks. It's not that they're undecided who to vote for. They just don't know if their vote matters. And these are the kind of issues that will get them to the polls. And I think we're beginning to get that message out to people. Well, if unless something tragically unforeseen were to happen in the next 18 months, I think you were going to see... A, a dramatic change in the makeup of Congress and the and the and the White House, and it should give us all reason to be a little hopeful. At, at the same time, I think we all have to understand that our job is to stay organized, right, right. because it's not just about getting more women in power or more people in power who pay attention. It's about more power in the hands of all of us, mm-hmm. and um, it's going to take you know really continued effort on our part to make that happen. I hope I give lots of realistic and um, easy-to-do examples in my book of how to do this, and I appreciate very much your time. I have a website, ellenbravo.com, if people want to know more about the book and this work. And the book is Taking on the Big Boys or Why Feminism is Good for Families, Business, and the Nation. Ellen Bravo, thank you for joining us here on Weekly Signals. My pleasure. Thanks so much. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.